This is God's word from 1 Peter chapter 2, preaching today from verse 12. It's the middle of a sentence, and so I'll begin in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation." Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He followed Jesus. He observed his ministry. He listened to and learned from Jesus' teaching. Last week, I showed how Peter applied Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave an urgent appeal about sexual purity, abstain from fleshly lust. In this verse, Peter goes on and applies another portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This teaching is that your life testifies to the watching world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Of course, living a holy life has its foundation in our our union with Christ. God saves you to be holy because he is holy. Peter has mentioned this in chapter 1. But a holy life also has a purpose to it, and that's what Peter brings to mind here. Christ has set you as lights to the world so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen again to Peter's words and hear how it is an application of Jesus' sermon. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that they may that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. With that in mind, my application today is, let your light shine in this world. We'll begin by, with Peter's assertion here, the concept that being in the world excuse me, is that Jesus has made us to be in the world, but not of the world. This really comes from the first portion of the sentence where where Peter says that we are, are, are sojourners and aliens in this world, that we are set apart from the world. And out of that comes that exhortation to abstain from fleshly lusts. But we are still in this world And we are purposefully in this world. I say purposefully because of that that action of Jesus Christ to set you as lights in this world. We remember that he is the light of the world, that he is the only way of salvation. But at the same time, God has given a, 
a role for you and for me to play in this world. He has given us a witness and has set us indeed as lights that give witness to that saving power of Jesus. Now, in saying that you are in the world but not of the world, I hope that you recognize that there is a lot of tension in that, in that concept. It's hard to be in the world but not of it. And that's for several reasons, partly because we were once part of this world. We were once loving the darkness and the desires of this world were once our desires. You look at Ephesians chapter 2, it describes what we once were. And the habits and the sins still cling to us. That's why Peter said in the first, in verse 11, that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts. Last week, the children might remember that I compared it to a dog returning to his vomit. Kind of turns your stomach, doesn't it? That's Peter's description of us. That even though we are children of God, that those habits of our old life, we still turn to. And it does turn our stomachs. It's hard to be in the world, but not of it, because of that old nature and those habits. But it's also hard because you are now something new. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. He's made you to be different. He's given you a new nature. Here's where the verse that we are memorizing this month comes into play. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's describing this glorious truth that you are now something new. You are a child of God. And that leads us to be different from the world. In fact, it may lead you to want to retreat from the world, to hide from the trouble and the heartache that is all around us. But I want you to recognize that Jesus has called you to himself. He has comforted you with his love. And he then equips you and sends you out into the world with a mission. He has given you a mission to tell others of that way of salvation through faith in Jesus. Knowing this can strengthen you to stand in this evil day. You are Christ's witnesses. God has chosen you to be that. He has chosen you to declare to the world a reality that they are blind to. He has chosen you to declare that even though they're more than blind, they are opposed to that reality. And being opposed to the light leads to what Peter says next, that the world will slander you for your good works. The world will slander you for your good works. This is something that is very important for you to hear and to understand. Your 
love for Jesus sets you at odds from the world. It just does. It can't help but do that. What fellowship does light have with darkness? The light shines and the darkness can't comprehend it. It shines in the darkness and it testifies. It testifies that there is a God in heaven and that the God in heaven is holy and that he is just. And it testifies that the Lord Jesus Christ will return one day and return in judgment against a world that has rebelled against him. God holds the world accountable and he judges the world according to his holiness. I like to put this in the terms of the grand story of the Bible. This is the reason I read from Genesis chapter 3, because that grand story goes all the way back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, it shattered the relationship between God and man. It introduced sin and shame because mankind rebelled against God and merited his just judgment against them. And when God came and he confronted Adam and Eve about that, he spoke to them and he told them the consequences of their sin, but he also spoke to the serpent. And he uses a term enmity there, enmity meaning that there is opposition, that there is hatred and warfare. And that hatred and warfare is between God and the serpent. And he says to the serpent, I have placed enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. That means there's opposition and hatred against those two. There's the just judgment of God against Satan, but there is a returned hatred as well. The serpent is at war against God too. Satan hates and opposes God. And the rest of the history bears this out, that Satan is against the Lord and all of his people. And this enmity comes to a boiling point at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is that seed of the woman which is described in Genesis chapter 3. When God pronounces a curse and the consequences of sin, he also promises a redeemer. And that Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ who would come and would crush the head of Satan. Now there is an already and not yet aspect to that victory of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he paid fully for our sins. But Satan is still active. He's often been described as a snake that head is crushed, but the body is still in its death throes and still has its effects in this world. Well, we can see that throughout the rest of the history of mankind as well. We can see it in our own lives, that Satan is still active, that there's still enmity against Jesus Christ and against his kingdom. Jesus himself endured the painful and shameful death of the cross, And he suffers and continues to suffer the hatred of Satan and the world. So it shouldn't come as a surprise then that the world will slander you for your good works. 
If Satan and the world hates Jesus Christ and has persecuted him, is it a surprise that they will hate and persecute you, the followers of Jesus Christ? Remember, too, that Satan doesn't fight fair. He doesn't. Peter warns you that, he, that, that the world will slander you for your good deeds. Your good deeds. That means that when you live your life following after Jesus Christ, that when you live your life in ways that are a blessing to those around you and for the good of the society that even these things will be brought up by unbelievers in a way that slanders God and slanders you. Just think about it. Think about it. Think about how living as a Christian is a blessing to the society around us. Being a Christian promotes the sanctity of life, promotes the fundamental institution of marriage and family. It, talks, it teaches an ethic of sexual purity. It guides you to protect others people, per, people's personal property. It helps you to maintain a person's reputation and good nature. Excuse me, uh, reputation and good name, not nature. Uh, all of these things are a benefit to the society around you. And yet the world will slander you for these things. They follow a self-destructive path, and they vilify all things Christian. They'll say things that are true, but twist it to make it sound awful, like this. Christians are suppressing human rights. Christians are against the freedom of expression of who you are. Or the world will say things that are half-truths or that are just out-and-out out lies. They did so against Jesus, and they will continue to do so against the church. Jesus warned us of this very explicitly. He said to the disciples, and by implication to the church descending from them, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a, dis it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more they will, will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Peter applies this in, in this instruction in his letter. Those who live in the world following after Jesus Christ will indeed be slandered by the world. This gives something of a shot of reality to us. By nature, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. Uh, 
There are some that are, are pessimistic. There are some that are optimistic. I'm generally an optimistic guy. I also read the promises of God about the gospel, and I have a great deal of hope. I read promises and believe that Christ will disciple the nations. I believe that he will draw to himself uh, uh, people from around the world such that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the world, even as the waters cover the sea. There will be a great ingathering of people, including a remarkable conversion of the Jewish people to follow after Jesus. I read those and I, my optimism says, I, I believe that impels me into the gospel ministry and to share the gospel with others. But I need to read Peter's words too. That there are tares among the wheat. I need to read and take them to heart that there will be opposition. Now we don't seek it out. We don't go out and try to provoke the world unnecessarily so that that, uh, we have this martyr complex and try to prompt that from other people. It just comes naturally. The enemy is real. The enemy is active. He is cunning. And he is full of hatred for Christ and for the church. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be troubled when you face evil days. Instead, be full of hope for for the gospel message that Jesus has given to you. Be full of hope and share it boldly. Be aware that just by the very nature of who you are, that you are testifying to the world that there is a God in heaven, that there is a Redeemer, that there's a way of hope and a way of of deliverance. But at the same time, don't be surprised when the world slanders you, and maybe even worse. Be hopeful because Jesus has set you in the world as his lights, the light that will shine. Which leads us here to a third point for, for Peter. Your good works do still shine. And there's a purpose for that. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says that the Gentiles observe your honorable conduct. They observe your good works. And even though they slander you because of them, they do observe them. The light shines. It does, just by that new nature that God is given to you. And it shines, and though they slander you, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Or as Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now the word that Peter uses here for good, as in in the good works, can also be translated as as beautiful. And I like that uh, that 
adjective. I like that translation in the sense that it leads us to think about our actions in, in a way that is, is, a, is appealing to those who are seeing them. When you hear good works, you might classify them as morally good, and they are. But the word that Peter uses has more this influence of the beauty of following after Jesus Christ. And, and when you think about it this way, you can think about how, how there is something about our lives that does bring light into the darkness. There is a, a saltiness another part of Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount. There's a, a taste and a preservation aspect to our lives that are, are a blessing to the world around you. You know, there's something about seeing a, a, a beautiful sunset that takes our breath away, that draws our attention to it. Or you might think about uh, a peacock, when it fans its tail, that makes you just stop and say, wow, look at that. For the non-Christian, Peter says that by your life, they see the goodness of God. They see the gospel uh, being put to practice in your life. And that there is a purpose for that. That purpose is that they may come to glorify God in the day of visitation. Now here Peter uh, takes another really deep and profound teaching of Jesus Christ. And without much justification, he just, uh, he, just, uh, he just inserts it here in a powerful way. So he's talking about the second coming of our Lord and Savior. The second coming when Jesus will appear with his angels, with the sound of the trumpet, with the shout of the archangel. And there will be an unearthly noise and the dead will be raised to appear before Jesus Christ. And the Lord will, will have his seat on the great white throne of judgment. There he will judge the living and the dead. And at that point, Peter says that the Gentiles, the, those outside of the people of God, that the Gentiles may come to glorify God in this day of visitation. Now that can be taken in one of two ways. And one reading of it indicates that God will use your life as a witness so that some will be converted. They will come to Christ. And on that day of visitation, they will be found among the people of God. And that part of their story has been your witness to them in this life. Now, the gospel is part of our lifestyle, but it does need to be spoken, and that's something for another day. But let me, let me draw in here that your lives are indeed part of that gospel. 
It's not the end of the gospel. They need to hear that you must repent and trust in Jesus. That doesn't come unless it's spoken or read. But you are a light. And part of the conversion of individuals, God says that he sets you as a light in this world. I want you to take that to heart. I want you to think about how uh, how the gospel is indeed lived out day in and day out. I want you to be conscious of that in a way that is is grateful for the stewardship, the, 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 the honor of representing Jesus Christ, and live in a way that testifies that you are a new creation, that testifies that there is a whole different way about looking at the world and living in this world, a way that does bring value and beauty and hope It brings purity and honor and respect. That breathes hope to a world that's living in darkness. May it be that on that day when Christ reveals all things, But there will be some that testify that I saw Jesus in you. And that was part of my conversion. It was part of my conversion. God sets you as a light in this world. And it is his purpose that he sets you as lights. Grasp that and with boldness live that out and pray for those opportunities that come when others say why is it that you live this way why is it that you are not not anxious or distressed In the history of our church there was a young woman from Japan, who started coming to church because her boyfriend was coming here. And he was converted and then graduated and moved. And it would have been very easy for her to say, well, my boyfriend is no longer coming to church. He's no longer here in Stillwater. This church thing doesn't really mean anything anymore. But when she joined the church, she expressed her confession of faith. She said, I just couldn't stop. I saw these things in my boyfriend. I saw them in the church, and God didn't let go of me. And she said, this changes everything. She got it. And the testimony of the light coming into her life brought conversion to the glory of God. There is another way you can understand this. 
Jesus taught that he would come again, that he would judge the living and the dead. And in that judgment, he will vindicate believers who have suffered in this life. And he will say to you who are his children, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, even if no one in this life ever acknowledges the good that you have done, even if in this life they slander you for the good that you have done, even if they persecute you and put you to death for following after Jesus Christ, God knows that you are his child. God sees the light that you have shown in this dark place. And he will openly acknowledge you on the day of his visitation. He will vindicate you to suffer for his name. And then those who slandered you and abused you and persecuted you, will be compelled to acknowledge the goodness of God in you. Not necessarily to their salvation. God causes all to bow before him, some in faith, some as he crushes them in his righteous judgment. To their shame and their destruction, the wicked will be a testimony of the justice of God. I say this, as Peter does in this context, to encourage those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. But let me also say this to you if you are outside of Christ, that there is a day of visitation, and the light is shining all around you. God is testifying to you that he exists, that he is a holy God, and that he holds all men and women accountable to his righteousness. That as you hear that, as you see that light, that now is the time to come to it, to come to the light of Jesus Christ. You do that through repentance and faith, so that on that day of visitation, you will stand with those that Jesus welcomes into his midst, who says, come, You blessed of the Lord, enter into the kingdom of heaven, to the reward that is yours. You will exist forever to the glory of God. Well, God has set you purposefully as lights in this world. Let me conclude just by a few words of Practical encouragement. What does this look like? What does it mean to let your your light shine? 
Uh, this is where I, I hope that you will take this sermon and begin to, to prayerfully say, how in my life is Christ calling me for my life, uh, light to shine? But I want to put it in, in two ways. One is in the context of these verses. They're, they're one sentence, and so Peter has, in the first part of the sentence, say, has, has begged you to abstain from fleshly lusts. That is one way that your light shines in this world. Remember the many faces of fleshly lusts. Remember the inordinate desires for food and drink, being immodest in dress and behavior, being greedy and selfish and puffed up with pride, all of those different faces of fleshly lusts. And remember especially that primary face of lust, of sexual sin. Peter says, abstain from these things, rather have your conduct honorable in this world. And take that as a special application of this to you. That your light shines when you moderate your fleshly desires. When you bring them under the control of Jesus Christ and his law. That testifies to the holiness of God, to a path of of righteousness that must run through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. By extension, you can apply this to everyday types of good deeds as well. Being faithful to your spouse, being an honest, hard-working employee, showing what is truly valuable in the way you spend your money, showing what is of most importance by going to church, Appreciating what is genuinely beautiful in the arts and in music and in media. All of these contribute to what one commentator calls a beautiful life. A beautiful life expressed in everyday works that are reflective that you are a child of God. They may slander you for your good deeds, but they do so because the light of Christ shines in the darkness. So let your light shine, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven on the day of his visitation. Let's pray. O Lord God, we do pray that you would... Make our light shine in the world around us. Thank you for your redeeming grace that has brought us to be these new children of yours. And as children, O oh God, I pray that our love for you would be apparent to those around us. And I pray that there would be some that ask us about that. I pray that you would give us boldness not only to live but to speak the gospel, to invite them to Come to know Jesus, the Savior. No, God, we do pray that by that witness that there would be men, women, and children that come to glorify you, and that on that day that you come again, that they too would be welcomed into your kingdom. 
Lord, if we do face slander and persecution, may we not turn back. May we be strengthened to stand in this evil day, knowing that you see all things, so that you know all things, that you will openly acknowledge them on that day of visitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 17 speaks of that open acknowledgement that, uh, that God brings to all those who follow after him. We appeal to God that he would see us, that he would listen to our cries and our prayers. And in the last half of the first stanza, it says, Let justice from your presence come by vindicating me. So let your eyes see everything with perfect equity. Let's stand and sing Psalm 17a.